0: Amen. Thank you, Miss Sandy. I think a great place to get in our lives is when Jesus is all we want nothing else. I had never heard that song until she sent it to me. And um, I went and listened to it, and the first comment was from a guy who uh, had spent time in prison. And he gave his life to Jesus. He shared a brief excerpt of his testimony. He said, I truly in my life where I'm at today, all I want is Jesus. And uh, I thought, man, that's powerful. Uh, thank you, Miss Sandy, for singing that tonight. Take your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. While you're finding your place, I'll just share a quick story. There was a truck driver one day who was hauling a a load of 500 penguins To the zoo, and unfortunately, his truck broke down, so he waved down another truck and offered the driver $500 to to take the penguins to the zoo. And the next day, the truck driver picked up his repaired truck, and when he drove into town, he couldn't believe his eyes. Uh, He saw the second truck driver, this man he flagged down, walking across the road with 500 penguins waddling single file behind him. He jumped out of his truck and ran up to the driver and said, What's going on, man? He said, I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. To which the man responded, I did take them to the zoo, but I had enough money left to take them to the movie. So that's where we're going. You know, (laughs) I'm sorry, that's that's funny to me. (laughs) Well, that guy didn't fully understand what he was supposed to do. Uh, And so often... Too many men and women today are fuzzy about their sense of purpose and are not living as people on purpose, with purpose. You know, I, I, I'm not as much into the NFL as I used to be, but I caught the end of the Super Bowl, and uh, the next day there was videos that had gone viral of people's reactions that were Philadelphia Eagles fans to them losing. In this one video, a guy uh, started destroying his TV. His family's present. And the next thing you know, he's like violently shoving his family and pushing people in his house like the guy's ready to fight. People were uh, in the streets of Philadelphia, climbing poles and jumping off buildings and all kinds of stuff, just creating all kinds of chaos and starting fires and all this kind of stuff. And my, my thought went to. How sad this is that maybe this is only what this is all people live for? How sad this is that, that people have so much emphasis uh, and, and investment in, in, in a game that, that really means nothing in for eternity's sake. Like the, you see where that lends to uh, that people just really don't live with a whole lot of purpose and meaning in their lives? We're often fuzzy about what it is we're supposed to be doing as we continue in Genesis. The series I titled, In the Beginning, God. Our focus today, tonight, is on how God created us to live on purpose. Uh, Last week, we we got to see this very intimate picture of the creation of Adam. And we were challenged with this truth that God created every person on purpose and put us in a place to live out His purposes for our lives. And so tonight, we're going to continue examining Genesis 2. Uh, and see how God called Adam to live on purpose, for His glory. And we learned four important lessons tonight from this text. The first lesson we learned tonight is this. We learned the lesson We learned a lesson about God's provision. I'm sorry, God yes, God's provision, God's provision. Now here, write this down: God gives us everything we need to live on purpose. He gives us everything we need to live on purpose. Look at our text. Genesis 2, beginning at verse 10. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the verse, uh, the first is uh, Pishon. It flows from the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows uh, east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. I want you to notice a couple of things tonight. We're understanding, we're learning a lesson about God's provision. We see that God, number one, gives refreshment. You see, God created a place and provided the water necessary for life to flourish. This great river that uh, the writer is talking about is uh, separated into four uh, rivers pronounced the Pishon, the Gishon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Uh, the Pishon, the first river, flowed around Havilah, which was a region of, of gold, the text tells us, and bdellium and, and, and uh, 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 resin that looked like pearls and onyx stones. Interestingly, these precious items that, uh, that are mentioned in the text were later found in the tabernacle, the temple, and on the clothing of the high priest. We learn of the second river, which is Gishon, and this river flowed around the land of Cush, likely located uh, the, in the upper Nile uh, territory of Egypt. And the Tigris, this river ran east of Assyria and of Euphrates. This, the name Euphrates means fruitfulness. So we see even in the, uh, the picture of what we see here in Genesis 2 that God is providing everything life needs to flourish uh, commentators, they've tried to locate the rivers we've read about here briefly, um, and they've tried to locate the Garden of Eden. Uh, we know that the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers are still, lo- we can locate those today, they're still rivers today, uh, but it, you got to keep in mind that it's likely that terrain and topography changed after the worldwide flood. Y'all do believe there was a worldwide flood, right? And some don't believe that today, but there was a worldwide flood. And so it could have rerouted these these rivers. The point, however, is not so much where the Garden of Eden is today or these rivers, but that the Garden of Eden was a real place, and these were four actual rivers. Uh, The use of proper names shows Eden was an actual place that the writer Moses is writing about as he's inspired of the Holy Spirit. Eden is historical, not mythical, as some would want us to believe. Because of what happened there, we uh, we aren't meant to know where it is today, because according to Genesis 3.24, we can't enter it in this life anyway. Another life-giving river we know, now this is, this is look, when you look at the Old Testament and we look at Genesis, it's cool to relate to the New Testament. Now, isn't it true that we see the gospel all throughout the Bible? You are learning from Genesis one. we see the gospel. Again, let's remind ourselves: God in creation, we see that God brings order to chaos. We see that God brings light into darkness. We see God brings life from deadness. Right, and it's amazing to think. And then we see in Revelation, uh, we see in Revelation twenty twenty or twenty two twenty one, another life giving river will one day flow from God's presence. It says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Ezekiel 47.9 adds this, Everything will live where the water goes. And look, church, here's the main point. God graciously provided these rivers of water uh, to provide nourishment and life for God's garden and to provide refreshment. You know, and it reminded me, and I wrote this down last minute, but it reminded me of Je- Jeremiah seventeen seven and 8. Just looking at these four rivers in Genesis 2, and it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree that's planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. How many understand that it's a wonderful thing to be firmly planted in Christ, the life-giving source that allows us to flourish and to be fruitful in our lives of faith? Uh, look, God provides refreshment, but he also reply, provides replenishment. Notice verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took, took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. We see that God purposely and intentionally inserted man into this wonderful place of paradise, the Garden of Eden. It says the Lord took him and put him in the Garden of Eden. Uh, The word took in the Hebrew language is the idea of seizing or grasping and shows how God picked Adam up and placed him right where he wanted him to be, the place that he had prepared for him. But interestingly, the word put in our text means caused to rest. Now think about everything Adam's been through. I believe Adam, in his young life, would you agree, he's been through quite uh, he's been through quite a bit already. Uh, he was made from dust. Uh, then God breathed a soul into him, and shortly after he stood up and looked around. He was whisked away by God into the Garden of Eden. I like what one author said. In the Western mind, we work five days. Now think about this: we work five days to earn the right to rest and play on the weekend. But God tells believers to start the week with rest before work. In Scripture, rest is a gift, not a reward. Reminds me of Psalms 46.1 I quoted a couple of weeks ago, Be still and know that I am God. You see, replenishment happens when we learn to be still. You see, this is God's design. I find it interesting that God provides uh, refreshment and replenishment. God took Adam, placed him in the garden... And the word put, the word placed, means caused to rest. That's interesting to me. The lesson we learn is God provides. The second lesson we learn is this. We learn about God's plan. Look at verse 15 again. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, I think I'm about to say something that maybe some of us are not going to like about God's plan as bad as this, that God's plan involves work. God's plan involves work. God's plan for our lives is that we would work. According to the last part of verse 15 we just seen, Adam was put in the place called the Garden of Eden to cultivate, to work it, and to keep it. While Adam was given a place of worship and rest, a key part of God's plan for his life was work was to work in this garden. And it means, the word work means to till, and to, to till and to labor. He was called to be productive even in the perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. This idea has its roots in Genesis one twenty-eight, where it says that Adam was to subdue and have dominion. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Uh, the word cultivate also means, listen, this is interesting, the word cultivate or it might be translated work in your Bibles means also to worship and serve. That's the highest privilege that a person can have, to worship and serve. God's plan involves work. But I want you to notice number two, God's plan involves worship. His plan involves work, but it also involves worship. God's plan is that we would work to bring glory to Christ, that we would work for the glory of God. Adam was called to keep the garden, which has the idea of protecting or guarding, keeping it safe exercising great care over Uh, man's work ethic goes all the way back to the garden of eden that we're looking at tonight later now think about this this is why we where we get the idea of worship from our text later these words that are used in our text to cultivate or work and keep watch they were used of the priestly duties they were used of the priestly duties in the old testament you see work is our way to give back to the lord in service as we seek to bring glory to him. See, we see both of these words in Numbers chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister. There's that word, work, as they minister at the tabernacle. God's plan for your life and mine involves work, but it involves worship. Because our work is to bring glory to God. You see, I entered the pastorate a little over nine years ago. But I've been in the ministry a very long time. I remember telling people when I was with Chick-fil-A that uh, Chick-fil-A is a ministry to me. It's a way that I glorify God in my life, a way I serve the Lord through uh, working in in the public, through Chick-fil-A at that time. You see, all of us in here tonight, 100% of us that are followers of Christ are called to ministry. Often we we, we tend to to get that mixed up in our minds and and think that's for a few ministry professionals. They have the calling to the ministry. No, every child of God is called to minister where God places you. Our work is to bring glory to God, our work is a way we worship the Lord. Hey, look, wouldn't that uh, be powerful in our lives if we lived with that kind of um, perspective? Here are three quick applications on this point right here Work is not a curse but it's part of our purpose. Work is not a curse, but it's a part of our purpose. Isn't it true? Work for some people is a four-letter word. And we've got to change our, our mentality toward where we're at right now in life. Work is part of our purpose for living. God has you where you're at. And take heart in this. Be encouraged by this. God has you right now where you're at. He knew you were going to be there, and he has you there for his glory and his purpose for your life. You have a wonderful opportunity to make a difference where you're at. So keep that in mind. Look, work is not a, a, a curse, but it's part of our purpose. Now, how do we know work is not a part of the curse? Can I ask you a question? In the text we've just read tonight, when Adam is told to cultivate and to keep it, had sin entered the picture yet? No, nah, it hadn't. We know that's chapter 3. So we see that before the fall, because some people wrongly mistake that work is a part of the curse, before the fall, God called Adam to cultivate and to keep. Work was a part of God's plan. When you look at Genesis 3, 17 through 19, it was after Adam's sin, and here's where the curse happened, that the ground was cursed, and thorns and thistles appeared, and work caused him to sweat and become tired, weary, exhausted. That's part of the curse. How many understand that one day we're going to be in the presence of God forever? How many tonight's thankful for heaven? How many tonight's ready to go to heaven? Somebody say, Amen. Uh, Look, I'm thankful for heaven. I think about heaven a lot every day of my life. Probably I think about heaven at some point throughout my day. I'm looking forward to being in that perfect environment when God restores everything and we are uh, serving Him on the new earth and we're together forever for those that know God and we're reunited with our family that's gone on before. I'm looking forward to that day. But did you realize that we are going to work for all eternity? And I hope because I say that, somebody that heaven doesn't lose some of its meaning to you. But we're going to work for all eternity. You know, and you've heard me say before, we're going to work for all eternity, but we're going to have a perfect boss. Uh, we're going to have a boss who knows how to treat us fairly. We're going to have a boss who puts us in the exact position we need to be in to thrive and to flourish. And so we better change our perspective on work now and realize, look, I got the opportunity right now to make a difference And to use my work to glorify God because it's part of his purpose uh, for my life. That leads to my next point on application. Uh, We're called to see our work as worship. Look, change your perspective. My work is a way I worship. Think about that. My work is a way that I worship God. Martin Luther said this. He said, the farmer shoveling manure. And the maid milking a cow can worship God through their work just as much as the minister can preaching. There's a sense of sacredness in your vocation because you and I are called to serve, not just to be served. So settle this truth, you are made to worship through your work as you serve other people. What a perspective to live with. I believe you're, you, if we change our perspective on this, I think we'll have a lot more joyful and happy days if we change our perspective on the work God has called us to. Um, Many years ago, in fact, some people still pick on me because I still do this. I say my pleasure when somebody says thank you. Now, who says my pleasure in the community? Who who does that? Somebody tell me. Chick-fil-A does. Um, Many, many years ago, Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, he's with the Lord now. Truett Cathy was a a wonderful, look, and look, I I got to meet him on, on a few occasions. He was a wonderful man of God. The man loved the Lord. Um, when I was at the corporate office, they took me up to his office. I was there for some training. And they let us go in his office and sit in his office chair and all that kind of thing. And I went out onto the porch, and out on the porch you see a rocking chair. And, and I asked the, the receptionist, I said, what? You know, there's a rocking chair. You know, and, we, and she started telling us how every day, well, think about this, every day Truett Cathy spent his first hour sitting out on his balcony overlooking this wooded area praying. she said, that's where he prays. Every day. Blew me away. I spoke to my heart, uh, convicted my heart as a young man to see this man's walk of faith. But Truett Cathy, years ago, wanted to train his staff nationwide about the biblical principle of serving people. They developed their second-mile service model from the Bible. When you went to a conference, Uh, I heard Dan Cathy, his son, speak on second-mile service, and he opens his Bible and shares a Bible text and begins to teach this passage on going the extra mile, uh, even for those who mistreat you. And so that is where my pleasure, so you have a little bit of background, that is where my pleasure came from. He wanted his staff to believe and to live with the idea and the perspective that it's my pleasure to serve someone else no matter how they treat because you come into contact with all kinds of people in the public, no matter how they treat me, it's going to be a pleasure to serve whoever comes my way, even those who oppose us. Um, And so that's where that came from. What a perspective. And I thank God for the perspective. I was taught through a a secular workplace from men who love God and wanted their staff to say, my pleasure, when they were thanked for serving. Look, we are called to serve. Look, in Colossians 3.23, it says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Work as heartily for the Lord is not for men. Uh, look, whatever you do in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, Dad would say this verse to me growing up, uh, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your heart. He said, man, whether that's playing baseball, basketball, taking the trash out, think about this. Do it with all your heart. Look, what would happen in our homes if we trained our kids to view their chores as an act of worship to God? Things would change. Because if your kids are like mine, they complain sometimes when you ask them to do something. Oh, God, take trash you. again. Know? I mean, they, they complain a little bit. You know, what if we trained our kids in this perspective? God's life, some things in our lives would change if we get a hold of what the Bible is to work as a part of our purpose. Whatever we do, do it heartily as for the Lord, not for men. The third point of application is this. Part of man's purpose is to protect what has been entrusted to him. According to Song uh, Song of Solomon 5.7, we're to be watchmen of the walls in the workplace and in our homes. See, as we learned last week, God puts us in an exact place He wants us uh, to be so we can live out His purposes. D.L. Moody said this while in England. He heard an evangelist, uh, Henry Varley, give a challenge. And here's what Henry Varley said. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do through a man who is totally yielded to Him. Moody was captivated by what he he said. Uh, By the uh, the grace of God, Moody said, I will be that man. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be that person that that is going to be totally yielded? Look, no holding back. Can I stop here and say this? Look, what are you holding back from God? What are you holding on to or holding back from him that keeps you from serving him and working for him with everything you got? And I tell you, it's not worth it. Whatever it is, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So I ask me, I ask you, will you be that person that's totally yielded to God? Look, something was said to me a long time ago that stuck with me. Because we often get caught up in ability. Well, I'm just not talented, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Um, Moses, you know, I'm reading Exodus right now, my devotions. Good night. You know, you want to know if God's patient? Read Exodus. Moses argued with God, talked back to God about what God wanted him to do. and um, just, There's a whole sermon in Exodus chapter 4 I've got to preach sometime about when God almost killed Moses. Um, go read it. But anyway, um, I was going somewhere with all that. What was I, what was I about to say? Oh, uh, it's not our, look, it's not our ability. Moses was concerned about his ability, his talents. And we often get that way too, but someone said to me many years ago, it's not about our ability, it's about our availability. It's about our availability, saying, God, what did Isaiah say? When he was at, who will go for me? Isaiah said, hear my Lord, send me. Isaiah was available. And look, when we're available to to fulfill God's design and his purposes, God, we've already learned, provides everything we need. Everything we need. We know the rest of the story of Moses. Was he successful? Of course he was. He followed God. He had his failures. He had his faults. His struggles along the way but God used him in a magnificent way. God provides everything we need as we follow his plan, his purposes for our lives. Look, we learn a lesson about God's provision and God's plan, but notice number three, we learn a lesson about God's protection. Look at verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. In verse 16, we see the first command in the Bible. If you like marking those things, you can mark that. This is the first command we see in Scripture. And this word command, uh, we notice it comes early in the verse, and it's a very strong term that the Lord uses here. It means to give an order to charge direct. The Creator... Would you agree? He, he's giving Adam a direct order. And because God created Adam, he has the right to give commands to his creation. The word command today, now think about this. I was actually told this. The word command is a triggering word to people today. Today it's a word that just it triggers people. People don't like this word. But we have to change our perspective on this word command because it's a word we see often throughout the Word of God, because would you agree with me tonight that God commands you and I to do things? So we need to change our perspective. See, commands are given for our pleasure and for our protection. Uh, We see God's protection in a couple of ways. Now notice this. He gave Adam, first of all, a pleasure to enjoy. This is a way God protected him. A pleasure to enjoy. Look at verse 16. He said, From any tree... Of the garden, what does it say? You may eat freely or freely eat, however your, your, your uh, translation is, is rendering that. In the Hebrew, a form of the word eat is repeated twice for emphasis. And so in some translations, they render it surely eat or, or freely eat. Literally, it means eating thou shalt eat. Eating thou shalt eat. It's a very strong affirmation for Adam to enjoy with great delight, what God was blessing him with for food until his heart was content. I'm reminded of Romans 2, 4 that says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Interestingly, in Genesis 3, 2, think about this. When we get into the fall, we're going to see this in Genesis 3, 2, when Eve talked with the serpent. She omitted the phrase, freely eat. You'll catch that as we get over to Genesis 3, 2. How many understand tonight that our enemy, the devil, is going to try to confuse what the word of God says? He wants us to miss, he misrepresents it, wants to confuse us with what God is saying. And she omits the phrase freely eat. And listen to how she characterized God as a killjoy instead of the good God who graciously allowed them to eat as much as they wanted. She said, We may, you know, we may eat of the trees of the garden. <laughs> That's kind of how it comes across. When God said, you may freely eat, you eat, thou shalt eat. Look, eat to your content. All of this you can have. Except this one we're going to see in a minute. We see that God gave Adam, he protected Adam by giving him a pleasure to enjoy. But notice number two, God protected Adam by giving him a, prohibi- a prohibition to embrace. A prohibition to embrace. Look at verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely what? You will surely die. The word good refers to well-pleasing and morally correct, while evil speaks of morally bad and extremely ugly evil. Now, it's important for us not to miss how God begins with blessing and then he establishes a boundary. Now listen to me, blessings always come with boundaries. Always. Most people think of God as you talk to a lot of people out in the community and that are not in church and they they think of God as this person who he keeps you from, from doing all of this stuff and having a good time. That's what some people they characterize God in that way, but remember he gave pleasure and I think he gave pleasure before he gave this prohibition. He gave pleasure. A blessing before the boundary. And so church, we got to remember tonight that what God gives, listen, what God gives, is this not true? What God gives is abundantly better than what the world can ever give. What we enjoy in Christ, the world can never provide. What God allows is always better than what he forbids. Now think about this from our text. The maximum, listen, the maximum was allowed. The maximum. And the minimum was forbidden. There's only one no in our text. Of all these trees, you may freely eat. But of the tree, one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it. Don't eat eat from it. There's only one no, and everything else was a yes. Every good parent knows this, that love always establishes limits. Love always has limits. Boundaries are given for our protection, not for our oppression, right? Right? Even in this prohibition, we see God's goodness, God's mercies, God's warnings are evidence of His grace because He wants us to stay away from everything. Would you agree? God wants you and I to stay away from everything that will dishonor Him, that will damage others, and that will destroy ourselves. He wants to guard us from those things. And interestingly, and as you can imagine, the serpent, Satan, he minimizes what God gives us to enjoy, and he magnifies what God prohibits. He wants Adam and Eve to see God as harsh and as somehow holding out on them when the exact opposite is true. You see, we don't fully know, you know, and there's a lot of questions that come to mind. We don't fully know and have the answers as to why this tree was there, except that he put it there. He wanted to give Adam the choice of whether to obey and trust his words, to enjoy the good. Adam needed to believe that God alone knows what is good and what is not good for him. He wanted Adam to choose. And then we see number four. We learned the lesson not only about God's protection, but we learned the lesson about God's punishment learn a lesson about God's punishment look at verse 17 again but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from the day that you eat from it you will surely die we see God's punishment Would y'all agree that God in verse 17 was very clear with Adam what would happen he was very clear and so there's no excuse or way out here For Adam, God has made the decisions clear. Look, everything, I've given you all this to freely eat from. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that, or in the day that you eat of, you're surely going to die. And so we see, I want us just to notice a couple of things about God's punishment. I want you to notice, number one, it's surety. God gives Adam this choice whether he's going to obey or not. God gave you and I, he gave Adam and Eve a free will. The ability to choose good or to choose wrong. He didn't create us as puppets or robots, but rather as responsible moral agents with a will to decide. And in the last part of verse 17, God was quite clear what would happen if Adam disobeyed. For in the day that you eat, you're going to die. It was sure. And not only was it sure, and I want you to notice its severity. The penalty would be severe and certain, God declared to Adam. He said, you're going to surely die. We know in the Bible this is the first mention of death in Scripture. And it's tied to disobedience, and don't miss that. The first mention of death is tied to disobedience. How many understand disobedience has consequences? Just as eat was repeated twice in verse 16, remember, eat, thou shalt eat. It's translated as freely eat, so here we see die is repeated emphatically to show Adam he would surely die. It literally reads the same way as eat does, dying thou shalt die. Unfortunately, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, Adam and Eve knew the good and chose not to do it. They knew the evil, clearly knew the evil and the consequences, and that is what they chose to do. You know, some look at this and say, you know, the punishment is is so too severe. This is, you know, too severe for such a seemingly, this is minor disobedience. I mean, why didn't God just ground them? (laughs) I mean, why is this so severe? We have to remember who issued this command to Adam. The one who issued this command was Jehovah Elohim. He's the one who spoke into existence everything. And that God God is completely just because all sin, listen, all sin, all sin is cosmic treason against the Lord Most High. How many believe and understand God's holy? And he has to deal with sin severely. At its core, death involves separation. The day Adam sinned, he died spiritually. And then he would eventually die physically because of what he had done. As our representative head, Adam's sin caused separation between us and a holy God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You know, a great lesson for us as we look at God's punishment is that there's always consequences for choices we make. And how many understand and are living a life and you can testify that it's so much better to obey God than to disobey God. Well, I could stop right there and preach a while. Because I have such a burden and a desire to see God's people obey Him and live for Him and for His glory. Really quick, just some thoughts as we close an application. The things we've learned tonight is this, is we can mark it down. God provides everything we need to live on purpose for his glory. Trust him. What is God leading in your life that you're holding back? That maybe you're arguing with him like Moses, the writer of our text, did. Trust him. He will give you everything you need to accomplish his purpose. The second application is this is change your perspective on work. Work is a means of worship. To the Lord. Our work is a ministry that God can use to draw others to Himself. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that wherever it is that you work, whether it's whether you stay at home, whether you're in the workplace, have a career, whatever the case may be, do you believe that people can trust Christ at your work? Yes, they can. How many believe that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? And it didn't say they had to call on the name of the Lord in the church. We can lead people to Christ in our workplaces. And it's up to them to decide who they're going to follow, But we can lead them to Jesus. Work is a ministry that we can draw others to Christ. The third thing is this, the pleasure we enjoy and what God gives is far better than the momentary pleasure we receive from what God prohibits. Look, we have to always remember tonight, to reiterate, blessing always includes boundaries, and pleasure precedes prohibition. How many, look, we do this, but we often, I, I just wonder if we do it mindlessly, but let's not do that tonight. How many would say, look, God has been good to me. God has, has given me so much. God's blessed us immensely. How many understand that everything we have is a result of God's blessing? And we should give him thanks for it. How many believe tonight? We shouldn't take credit for those things. And often we are, our flesh is tempted. We're going to take credit for the success we attain, in life. But look, God is who gives us our help. God's who who keeps our heart beating. I want to understand every breath we have is a blessing from God. This year, something I've done in my devotions that that's really changing me. Now, early on, it was convicting because when you start writing down every day, today I'm thankful for, and then you're stumped, you know, and and God's used it to keep to convict me, but he's using it to change me as everyday of my devotions. And today I'm thankful for. There was one day I just thank God for water. And how often do I take water for granted? Lord, one day it was, Lord, I think I was complaining about my Highlander, my, my car. <laughs> and, and, and so, uh, you know, I was convicted over that. So one day it was, Lord, thank you for my Highlander. Thank you I have a car to drive. Thank you for my home. Thank you that I got a bed to sleep in. How many understand there's things that people in Lincoln don't have a bed to sleep in? Lord, I'm thankful for for heat. I'm thankful for for air conditioning. There's so much. God's been so good to us. And it's all because of him. It's nothing of ourselves. It's all because of him. But when we learn to live life with that perspective, we realize everything God gives me is so much better than what I can attain, living for myself and living for the God of this world. Because all of that is momentary. And then the fourth application is this, is God created you with a free will to choose between right and wrong. God is holy and he must punish sin surely and severely. This should, listen, this should motivate us to live on purpose, to live for his glory, to guard against sin that likes to creep its way into our lives. And it should motivate us, most importantly, to share with others they got a choice to make that affects their eternity. You can choose God or you can choose this world. So, church, let's live on purpose, directing others to the gospel by the way we live for His glory. Let's stand together tonight for prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Randy.